You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School, presented by Privy and Printful. Welcome back. I have a very special guest today. I'm here with Kim Lewis, co-founder of CurlMix.com. Kim and her husband, Tim, started the business as a do-it-yourself box for curly hair, kind of like Blue Apron, but for curly hair products. They had tons of customer interviews and conversations and they pivoted the business and they turned their best-selling boxes into hair care product line that they produced. And within 12 months of the pivot, they went from zero to a million in sales. I love that story. It's incredible. Go check them out, curlmix.com. And Kim, welcome to the show. Ben, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh yeah, God. this is great. So let's start with Curlmix. Can you give us a little bit of a backstory? Like when did you start? So Curlmix is a clean beauty brand for curly hair. We focus on simple beauty rituals and we're most known for our wash and go products. So it helps you get like that wet curly look that you have. It helps you preserve that. Because a lot of times if you have curly hair and it's wet, it'll shrink up or it'll get more frizzy. So you won't be able to preserve the curl pattern that you have. And so we help you do that with our Hero product, which is our flaxseed gel. Uh, but we didn't start that way. We started, as you mentioned, as a do-it-yourself box for curly hair. So think blue apron, but for hair. And we did that for about a year and a half. And the one box people kept buying over and over and over again was our flaxseed gel. And flaxseed gel, it's literally when you boil flaxseeds, like the kind that you eat. Yeah. We use selaginous gel, and when you extract that from the seeds, it makes a wonderful organic hair gel. Huh. And so we were one of the first companies to ever put that in a bottle and offer it to our customers. And so that was kind of how we got our foot in the door in the natural hair industry. Incredible. And so how are things going today? Things are going really, really well. We just finished crowdfunding, so we've raised a few million from our customers. Wow. Which... I didn't even know it was possible maybe a year ago. I'm like, maybe I should crowdfund. I don't know. So it's, it's cool being on the other side of it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just focusing on getting to that next level of growth, you know, getting to 10 million in revenue. That's what I'm focused on. So yeah. Nice. Well, good luck. I mean, it, it sounds like you're well on your way. Let's focus in on the fundraise for a sec, because I, I know that you, you were on Shark Tank, too. What was that like? Shark Tank was, I used to say it was the hardest thing I had ever done outside of natural childbirth. <laughs> After I gave birth naturally, I was like, oh, that's the hardest. But then I would even say crowdfunding was probably harder than that. Crowdfunding was the hardest thing I've ever done. Just because you literally have to go through, if you raise more than a million from the public, you're dealing with right. the SEC, right? right? So like you are um, filing a Form C with the SEC, which means like if you were to ever go public, right, you're going to file a form with the SEC and disclose all of the things in your business that are risks to the public, right? And then uh, you're going to, you know, lay out your audited financials. So not only are you laying out your financials, but they're getting audited. So we manufacture. So we kind of have two businesses in one. We sell online as an e-commerce company, but we also make our products in-house. So someone auditing a manufacturing company looks different than auditing an e-commerce company, right? In e-commerce, everything's digital, it should all be there. But if you're manufacturing, you have to get down to the nitty gritty, like how much was the water cost in every bottle that you've produced over the last two years? Wow. And we produce, you know, 40,000 units a month. So if you're doing that for 12 months over two years, you're literally manually calculating COGS for like wow. hundreds of thousands of products. That's crazy. So, it was hard for us. It was hard, but it was worth it. I would do it again if I knew what I knew now, you know, I might make some adjustments to how we did it. And that's totally outside of actually raising the money. I would actually say 
campaigning and raising the money was the easy part. The hard part was the technical readiness behind the business wow. that you need to be to be able to showcase your business to the public. It's like going public. Yeah, it is like going public. It may not be as intense as like IPO because you're not doing a road show, you know, to right. investors. You're not dealing with like the big banks in Wall Street. However, you're still dealing with the SEC and all that comes with that. And you're still dealing with thousands of investors and having to educate many of them on actually fundraising and what investing is because they're angels like they've never done this before so they don't know that it's not a donation right they don't know that they're gonna get a return on their investment they think that they're just helping me out because they love kim you know wow i'm like no this is a value add for you <laughs> it's amazing amazing so just real quick though on shark tank so you guys turned down the shark tank offer right who offered it to you so i tell if you didn't ask about shark tank i apologize that's all right <laughs> so shark tank was the third hardest thing i've done and we got an offer from robert herger for four hundred thousand for 20 percent of the business the valuation he gave us was like a two million dollar valuation and we were on track to make a million that year which we didn't make a million so i just felt like the valuation was like insanely low and so i had to turn it down but most people were like, how could you turn down a deal on Shark Tank? I was like, well, the value was like, it wasn't a fair valuation at all, you know? And I knew we'd have to raise money later. And I wanted to be honest about whatever I was doing on the show. So I didn't want to like take a fake deal and then go home and be like, no, I don't want to make that happen, you know, and like lie on TV. I like to be as honest as possible. Yeah. But it was a phenomenal experience, but it was very hard. So did it drive just crazy sales the day it aired? It did. It did give us, I think... We've yet to have a month like we had on Shark Tank. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Like we did almost like a million dollars in a month or something like that. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So the Shark Tank effect is real. It is. It's like the new Oprah effect, you know, back yeah. in the early 2000s. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so moving forward. So you, you ended up raising, you said, from customers through the, the crowdfunding effort, which is incredible. You also raised from the former CEO of LinkedIn, did you say? Yes, Jeff Weiner. He's one of my early investors in my seed round. Amazing. He and another partner, they led the round. That's incredible. What a what a group. Customers and real value add. So well, he saw the episode. So actually Carlin oh. from Backstage Capital invested her first she gave me the first money I've ever gotten, twenty five thousand nice. dollars back when we were at DIY Box. Um before we pivoted, I with her fund is where I met my first advisor. And he's been meeting with me monthly for a year. Nice. I mean, monthly for three or four years, one hour each month, and been advising me on the business. Basically, when I was about to close before we pivoted and helped us get here to six million in revenue. But I meet, I met Arlen and Gilbert, and then Arlen introduced me to Jeff's partner, who does they co-invest together. Just before we went on Shark Tank, like I was trying to find the money for that inventory. Like when you get the okay that you're going to be on the show. You're not ready to go from two hundred thousand to a million in revenue the next month. Like you're just not ready. Right. And so I had to find someone to fund that inventory. So Arlen was like, I think I know someone. Um, he'll make a quick decision. You know, I'll put you in touch. Put me in touch. And they invested two hundred thousand just so I could have inventory. And then after we aired and we did so well, they ended up offering me um, a seed round. So they they let up my seed investment. And then once they were in, it was really easy to close it up. Incredible. Incredible. Congrats. I mean, you're a natural fundraiser. I can see it. And it's great to surround yourself with, with great people. So good stuff. So let's talk about like what's happened since fundraising, right? Like, you know, there was a way that you were doing things before the fundraise in terms of marketing. Now you, you raised a couple million bucks. Like how has that changed your view of marketing? How has fundraising changed my view of marketing? 
yeah, like, are you doing, are you able to do things that you weren't able to do before? Are you spending more? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fundraising allows you to be able to build a more solid business, in my opinion. Like if you bootstrap, there's just limitations on what you can do, right? So you, you can't afford not to be profitable every single month if you're bootstrapping or you're going into debt, um, which gets expensive when you start paying that back and your your revenue isn't significantly more than it was when you took the debt out, right? So fundraising allows you to be able to retain better talent because you can offer them the things that they'd expect at a job, right? Like a 401k, um, full benefits, right. you know, PTO, all those things that, you know, everyone wants to have on a job. Like you can do that as a startup when you raise money. You can also afford to like buy inventory for three to six months. Whereas if you are bootstrapping, you're probably on a month to month basis. And the reason that's important, if you think of like a COVID, right? I'll give you an example. Last year, all because China kind of shut down yeah. and the most e-commerce companies are buying their products from China, they were all severely delayed during the pandemic, which means they either didn't have product or their packaging came back to them in like something that they normally would never sell. But because it's the pandemic and it was COVID and the factories are shut down, they had to make do, right? Let's say, for example, you were a venture-backed startup. You might have bought six months of inventory as soon as you knew the pandemic was happening in February. And you would have bought up all the plastic eight-ounce bottles in your area. You know what I mean? Then further making it difficult for, like, some of the smaller brands to be able to do that. And so then you're, like, kind of beating your competition just because you have the cash flow to be able to buy in bulk like that. So. Fundraising allows you to be have a stronger position in your industry. You're able to make larger investments. You're able to get cheaper. You know, you get bigger discounts when you buy in bulk. You're able to get better talent. I mean, money, it just, it really helps everything, honestly. And so when people say they bootstrap or they tell people to only bootstrap, I mean, sure. MailChimp did, you know, sell for $12 billion and they bootstrap. But that is, the reason they're a headline is because that's so rare and it's it took 20 years you know what i mean if you if you raise venture you might be able to do what milchum did in five you know yeah no i mean it's super interesting to get your perspective i mean we for privy we're, we're kind of going off script here which is great i think this is a super interesting episode privy raised you know we raised a bunch of money and and we just had a, a fantastic exit and i think you know there's days where i've felt like hmm, you know maybe we should have kept bootstrapping and then, you know, there, there's definitely days where I'm like, wow, we could never have done some of this stuff, like build new products and all that, do some of the marketing, hire the talent, uh, had we not had that money in the bank. So, you know, I think, I think when you've found customer fit, you know, and sales are growing, uh, I do think there is a, a real place in, not in every business, but in certain founders' lives for inorganically growing the company and getting access to capital. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, but certainly, does, you know, the more money you raise, the more pressure that's on. I don't know if you feel that. Yeah, I think there's pressure either way, right? Like if you bootstrap, you're wholly responsible and no one else cares but you, right? True, um, true. And then when you raise, you have a lot more people who care, which can be more stressful. But it's like, I think they're stressed either way, honestly. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, there's no no easy way to build a business, but that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that. Flipping gears a little bit back to marketing, one of the things that I really appreciated, I, I spent a bunch of time digging into the Chromex site, social, all that. One of the things that stood out to me was your reviews page. And uh, you know which page I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> awesome. So I just felt like you can see the models on your website, on the homepage, right? 
Um, you can see it in your marketing. But then when you flip over to the reviews page, like that's where it really comes together, you know, because there's actual customers that are posting pictures of themselves with a review. And it's really incredible, right? And it's no surprise, like why you're growing so quick after reading some of those. But the thing I wanted to just get your input on is like, how much do you think being hyper-targeted around a very specific customer has resulted in the growth that you've had? Oh man, you know, so we focus on the wash and go, right? Which is a hairstyle. I mentioned that curly hairstyle where your hair is out and down. You know, my headshot, if, you, if you're looking at this yep. right now. <laughs> And being hyper-targeted, it allowed us to basically get further with less, right? Because it cuts through the noise. It tells you who it's for, who it's not for. So you're not going to buy curl mix if you have straight hair. You're not going to buy curl mix if you like to chemically treat your hair. You know, you're not going to buy curl mix if you want to wear extensions or weaves, you know what I mean, every single day. Our customer, you can tell who she is in our models, but you can also look at our customers and they all kind of have a similar hairstyle. Yeah. So that allows me to... Cut through the noise in the marketing. So I have one singular message, which is about this wash and go. Early on, it was just about the wash and go. It also means that I'm not spreading myself too thin. So I'm trying to tell you, hey, we work on all hair types. So we do everything. You can use us for any kind of style you ever want to make. You know, then that gets really expensive because now I'm competing with the same message of the industry giants, you know, whereas I'm picking a niche, a niche or a niche, however you want to say it, um, and doubling down on it. Now, I do think, though, at some point, and this is kind of where we're at that point where we kind of have to branch into other styles, like maybe twist styles or things like that. It helps you get like really quick, like from, you know, zero to one million or even one to two or three million or whatever. But I do think to get to that 10, you kind of have to reach maybe two types of customers, not just the one. And maybe to get from 10 to 100, you probably got to do some kind of like much larger distribution. But if you don't have a lot of money, picking a niche and focusing and doubling down on it is going to take you a lot further than being general. Couldn't agree more. That was the evolution of Privy too. And and once we really nailed it for small e-com brands, then that let, let us, afforded us the opportunity to expand the product, right? Mm, yep. Um, and, and grow through product expansion. So it sounds like that's, that's a similar approach that you're taking now. But no, there's no doubt. I mean, you guys have been incredibly successful building the customer base and the, the loyalty from a very specific customer that has curly hair and in a specific style. It's amazing to see. And thank you. I uh, I'll, I'll be curious to watch what you do next. So my goal for us, right, even though Chromex is a curly hair brand, I want us to be like the Procter & Gamble, right, of D2C. I want us to have multiple brands bringing in $20 million, $50 million annually and being, you know, direct to consumer only in that relationship. And so we have Chromex and we have 4C only. 4C only is like I don't know if you know this, but there's like a hair typing guide. So if you're like the kinkiest hair texture is type four, um, the loosely coiled is type three, and then like the wavy is type two, and then straight is type one. But the woman who has 4C hair, because it goes A, B, C, so one, two, three, four, then A, B, C in each number, 4C is like the kinkiest of coily textures, and they're never really portrayed in marketing. And so we launched a business to focus on that. The reviews page was necessary because people needed to know that we weren't a fake business. And when we were really small, you know, if you have a couple hundred orders, people don't know if it's real or not. And and the reason they don't know this is because, I'll give you an example. When we launched 4C Only, that second brand I was telling you guys about, we launched it within 30 days. It was completely duped. Someone had threw up a brand new site. They stole our logo. They put wow. it on some other packaging. And this site had maybe like 50 reviews. And like it, for all intents and purposes, it looked just like my site. Like I would have believed it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, 
you can just steal people's brands like this. And, you know, and even having 50 reviews wasn't enough to know that it was real. So I really needed people to know that we have a real business and we literally have 10,000 reviews that you can go and look at, you know, and that's why we did that page. That's amazing. Well, it's a killer page and I hope you use it regularly in all your marketing because it really sold. Thank you. But Kim, this was fantastic. So cool to get your take on the Shark Tank story and crowdfunding and fundraising in general and and what it really means to to focus on a a target niche. So thanks so much. Awesome to, to meet you for the first time and excited to follow the story. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate it so, so much. 